we use NPS in a couple of different ways. Number one is obviously to understand where the biggest holes are in our customer experience. When I first joined Wink around this time last year, it was very, very clear what our biggest hole was, and that was product availability. And NPS was our first insight into understanding that customers were not particularly happy with their selection of products. And it was in the peak of the pandemic, we were struggling to catch up supply to demand, but we were able to rally our entire team around getting the number of products that our customers were asking for on the site. And obviously in wine, that takes a little bit of time, but because we were able to get that insight early and work towards it, now we're in a fantastic spot when it comes to that. Welcome to Retention Talk. I'm Neil Desai, and we're talking to the best minds in the world of product and customer success to bring you actionable strategies on reducing churn and boosting retention. This week, we're talking to Jay, the VP of Growth at Wink. In this episode, we talk about options to provide your customers when they're canceling, focusing on the second month retention, and pay close attention to how Wink uses NPS scores to inform their roadmap. Thank you, Jay. Thank you so much for being with us here today. You know, I'm looking forward to, to learning more about your role and, and how you drive retention uh, with the team over there. So I'd love to just get a quick background, you know, into how'd you end up here? What are you working on these days? Yeah, definitely. So definitely started my career as a generalist. I started out doing tech strategy consulting for a couple of years. I got into the startup world at Bird where, you know, started on the strategic operations team, again, a generalist, and really moved into launching some of our new ventures, uh, the first being a monthly rentals product. And that was kind of my first foray into um, customer retention. But I really focused in that area when I went to fair.com, which is a vehicle subscription app. And they had an offering with Uber where they would rent out cars to Uber drivers on a weekly basis. And I led the retention program there. So that was kind of my first time leading an end-to-end retention program, really focused on retaining drivers in fare vehicles. And from there, I found Wink, which was the first time that I, w- I was exposed to the direct-to-consumer e-com world. Um, originally joined as director of customer experience, overseeing all of our retention touch points across lifecycle marketing, customer support, as well as the Wink.com digital product experience. And now I've moved into the VP of growth role where I oversee the P&L for the direct-to-consumer business, um, our performance marketing, as well as our customer retention efforts. Awesome. Well, quite the, yeah, quite the journey. I'm always fascinated by how folks end up, you know, working on retention and growth for e-com brands. And I love like the evolution of your journey and and, and ultimately how you've narrowed in on, on, on this specific challenge. So obviously the last couple of years have been insane for e-commerce, subscription e-commerce. Tell me more about how you guys think like of, of of the subscription element of, of Wink, right? How do you guys think about transactional revenue versus subscription revenue? Is that the focus? Uh, would love to learn a little bit more about, you know, how, how you guys think about that. Yeah, Wink.com is 100% subscription today. Um, so when we acquire customers, it's typically through a slightly discounted first order incentive. Um, and those customers are acquired directly into the subscription program. And the way in which the subscription works is actually a little bit unique. Um, there's a little bit of added flexibility there. We, we don't operate on your typical auto ship or subscribe and save model. We actually add credits to members' accounts every month, and they can then go on our digital product, browse our curated recommendations or our entire wine shelf um, to order on their own schedule. So they can either order on a monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly basis, totally up to them. Credits roll over and never expire. 
Um, and we're 100% subscription product because one of the areas where we really shine for our customer base, at least, is there are a good portion of our customers that come to us for taking the guesswork out of buying wine. Our interactive quiz experience really gets you into a first box based on your flavor profile, uh, as well as things that you like to do, foods that you like to eat. We'll provide wines that pair well with those. And then throughout the entire customer experience, as you order wines, rate them, reorder them. We're able to curate recommendations from our portfolio based on your taste preferences. And over time, those recommendations get better and allows customers to not only experience our entire portfolio of wines, but also get, if they want, curated recommendations and kind of take that guesswork out of, out of buying the product. Now, since we do design and produce all of our own brands, um, we do have some a la carte e-commerce outside of Wink.com. Uh, one of our brands called The Wonderful Wine Company has its own a la carte site and its own experience. And we do that when we feel like a brand has a unique and large enough potential to warrant its own end-to-end -end experience. And the Wonderful Wine Company is a great example of that. So we're starting you know, a little bit of a la carte e-commerce, but um, that's very brand specific and outside of the Wink.com ecosystem particularly. Got it, got it. Okay, that's uh, that's fascinating. I didn't realize you guys had like the credit model. It, it almost makes me think of, you know, how Audible does a, uh, you know, weekly or, or rather monthly book credit. So that's really interesting. And I think one thing like that I think about is coffee and wine are two beverages that are extremely personal and have deep connections to like your lifestyle, right? And so the fact that users have to sort of actively engage with your product and and pick out selections and, and and take quizzes and whatnot i think it's probably a big way in which you guys drive customer engagement and and, and you know ultimately retention the shopping experience that on, on wink.com is a huge area of focus when it comes to retention right like we want the experience to be significantly better than going into a grocery store and having to peruse a shelf of of hundreds of wines where you're probably just picking based off of the label and the price um, so we want to provide a little bit more of a curated, frictionless experience for people to enjoy wine um, and really have a connection with the next generation of consumers who may or may be not as pedantic when it comes to wine selections and wine tastes. Another advantage of the credits-based model is because of regulation in the United States, you actually have to be home to sign for any alcohol delivery. So for people with busy work-life schedules, travel schedules, it becomes really difficult to have wine shipped on a set schedule. So this allows for a little bit more flexibility when it comes to delivery timing as well and you know someone actually being available for that shipment. Got it. That makes that makes a ton of sense. So when I think about retention, right, Jay, I, th there seems to be a couple sort of buckets. One is strategic, you know, product-driven components to your experience that that ultimately focus on, you know, personas, making sure you're delivering a great product, so on and so forth. And and then there's a bucket of like a lot of mechanical pieces that, that I'm sure that you were, you know, driving um, in your role as as head of CX and, and even growth now. So I have a couple questions around like the mechanical pieces around what happens when a customer cancels like what does that look like you know from a product perspective but then even how how do you guys think about that you know internally yeah so i mean the customer cancellation flow goes through our cx team live chat facebook sms email uh, multitude of channels in which a customer can cancel and what we first try to do is really evaluate why that customer is canceling there's a couple of components of wink that they may not be familiar with such as the ability to skip a month the ability to move to you know, credits on a bi-monthly or quarterly basis, or perhaps they're having issues with delivery, which is a big chunk of cancellation. And, you know, we provide options like holding at a FedEx location or your local Walgreens. So we really try to understand why that customer is canceling and attempt to save. 
at that point. You know, if there's a solvable problem that that we can address, then we'll definitely attempt to save that. But if not, um, we want to make the cancellation experience as smooth as possible and not try to overdo it then because a lot of our customers who cancel maybe, you know, maybe they're pregnant or maybe they're moving, um, they end up coming back to us. So we want to make that a frictionless experience. And then, you know, over time, try to try to win them back through through CRM efforts. Got it. That makes that makes a ton of sense. And I I think in talking to a lot of e-commerce brands these days, like there's been a shift in how the industry has thought about saving folks at that point in the user journey, because I think five years ago, it was a nightmare to cancel products, right? Like you'd have to jump through a bunch of hoops, call people, write in, et cetera. And, and I think starting from a place of like really trying to understand why, I'm, I'm curious. So the, the, the point around like deliveries being hard is an interesting one. Have there been other things that the, the team has learned from talking to folks at that stage in the journey that have contributed to product development? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this has to do with integrations with delivery providers, right? So there's a little bit of a limitation there. But from a product development perspective, learning that, you know, customers being home to to sign for a delivery is difficult and allowing through the product itself to be able to enter in your nearest FedEx location for hold there or provide additional alternatives just within our digital product has been a huge lift for us. Another thing that we do is through our checkout flow, we encourage if you're not going to be home, send it to a place of business where there's always someone to sign for it. So those are small tweaks we made in the digital product to help improve the delivery experience. For a future state, one thing that I would love to see, and this is you know partial reliance on delivery providers, is the ability for our customers to select specific days and times directly through our digital product. Um, I think would make for the optimal digital experience when it comes to when it comes to alcohol delivery. Got it. That makes sense. And just mechanically, I'm curious. Like, are you are you guys using you know something like Recharge or Shopify for managing sort of the mechanics of of all of this? Yeah, great question. So Wink is actually 10 years old this year. So when it comes to subscription commerce, Recharge, Shopify as we know it today didn't exist, and especially with the capabilities that and flexibility that's there now. So our platform is actually entirely homegrown. From you know everything backend to payments to subscription management, CMS, the entire platform is is homegrown, which allows for a lot of flexibility. But there are platforms out there like Shopify that do provide best in class experiences for brands and companies that want to have you know that out of the box and maybe need a little bit less flexibility, which is why we're starting to put some of our a la carte brands like Wonderful Wine Company on platforms like Shopify. And eventually when we add subscription to that platform, we'll do it via a recharger or similar app. That makes sense. Yeah, wow. I didn't realize time just flies. I mean, I've, I've seen ads for you guys all over the place. And, and and definitely when I think of wine subscriptions, you guys are the first name that comes to mind, but I didn't realize it had been 10 years already. Yeah. I mean, Wink originally started off as Club W, so a different name. And then I believe around 2017, pivoted to Wink. That was around the same time we actually started building our own products and brands instead of just being a distributor for someone else's products. And that's really the core to our strategy now and who we're trying to become. See ourselves as a modern winery, a modern beverage portfolio with the comp set really being beverage giants like Constellation or Diageo and less so other wine subscriptions that purely serve as a distribution platform. Sure. No, that makes that makes sense. So ultimately, and, and this varies across different companies that I've talked to, like who owns retention, right? Because it seems like there's a growth team, CX team, 
I'm sure you guys collaborate all the time, like internally, right? Who ultimately owns that number if if it's a single person? And and walk me through like who, how it's measured, how often, who looks at it, so on and so forth. Yeah. So, I mean, all of these functions sit under the growth organization, um, which I lead. So it's all really under one organization. And I'm glad you brought that up because right now I'm responsible for customer retention, but we're actually hiring for a director of retention. So if any of you guys out there know someone, uh, definitely send them across. But I think, you know, it's really important that it, it lies within a single organization, especially within when it comes to performance marketing, because at the core of retention is the expectations that you set when a customer is acquired. And that is really, at the end of the day, what's going to drive retention. Obviously, you know, delivering a fantastic product is great, but it's about setting the right expectations and then delivering on those expectations. So the metrics that we look at when it comes to retention, we focus very closely on that second month, right? So we acquire customers through a first-time incentive. And then we really look at retention in that second month and LTV as of that second month in order to gauge future cohort performance. So that first product experience, that first drip is really telling, did we deliver on the expectations that we set when we acquired that customer? So we focus very heavily on that. And when it comes to you know the entire customer journey and the entire customer experience, and I know there's a little bit of hate around this metric right now, but I actually really like NPS, partially because, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, adjust timing when it comes to that, the way in which they ask questions to kind of game it. But, you know, we we ask NPS in a very standardized way. And we've actually seen that there's a very high correlation between our promoters and customers who, one, have the highest LTV and customers that, two, refer us the most often. And it's not no longer a lagging indicator, right? If you want to look at 6, 12, 18-month LTV, those are lagging indicators that take time to look at. But NPS is a great predictor, at least for us, of where LTV will lie in the future. So that's another metric that we look closely at when evaluating the entire customer experience, but really, really focus on setting the right expectations and delivering on those. So orienting the team around those second month metrics that I mentioned. Got it. That's super helpful, man. Because I think uh, to your point, a lot of e-commerce brands leverage a first month discount or promotion almost to like, you know, lower that activation energy for conversion, but obviously CAC goes up at that point. And so uh, segmenting out cohort like month two and onward I think is a much more accurate reflection of like who your real customers are. And it's funny you mentioned like hate around NPS because I think it's actually quite useful at the actual customer level. Like I don't know if the overall composite score is that relevant, right? Even in SaaS. But I think at the individual customer level, it is some indication of, you know, how they see your relationship with you. And so if, if you guys are seeing, you know, correlations and or particular segments with, you know, higher referrals or extended LTV with higher NPS, I think I think that really matters. And so that's interesting. Are there targeted offers or, or feedback loops or, or other things by NPS? Or, you know, it sounds like that's something you guys take a look at internally. So curious if you guys do anything more than just use it as an input. We use NPS in a couple different ways. Number one is obviously to understand where the biggest holes are in our customer experience. When I first joined Wink around this time last year, it was very, very clear what our biggest hole was. And that was product availability. And NPS was our first insight into understanding that customers were not particularly happy with their selection of products. And it was in the peak of the pandemic, we were struggling to catch up supply to demand, but we were able to rally our entire team around, you know, getting the number of products that our, that our customers were asking for on the site. And obviously in wine, that takes a little bit of time, but because we're, 
we were able to get that insight early and work towards it. Now we're in a fantastic spot when it comes to that. And then when it comes to the feedback loop around NPS, of course, you know, any customer who's either a passive or a detractor and, you know, tells us why they're having a poor experience, we reach out to them and we try to rectify that immediately. And so we, we really want to make sure that we're addressing customer issues. And if they're frustrated about something, may not create a support ticket, right? They may just send in a poor NPS response. So we address those customer complaints immediately. Um, and then we surface those insights. Our CX manager surfaces those insights to myself, our brand team, our lifecycle communications team, and our performance marketing team to make sure that we're aligned across channels setting the right expectations and delivering the experience that we want to deliver. Got it. That's super helpful. Curious to hear, like, what's what's next for Wink? Like, as you think about, it seems like you guys have a pretty sophisticated framework around how you guys think about retention. And and, and obviously, there's there's plenty of room for improvement for, for everyone. But like, what's what's something that you're looking forward to in, in terms of whether it's improving a certain metric or improving a part of the experience? Like, what's that next challenge for, for you and your team? Yeah, so the last six months, it was that product availability. And I think the next six months, it's going to be building a best-in-class shopping experience. So right now, we're still at a point, or at least I'm still at a point where we're really focusing on macro value for cost when it comes to customer retention on Wink and less so specific tactics at specific points in the customer journey and CRM. We do do all of that, but definitely feels like the biggest area of opportunity is just continuing to reinforce and improve the value for cost proposition. And we want to do that through two ways. One is obviously having best-in-class products and brands available on the site. And two is having an amazing digital experience. So the focus moving forward is on that digital experience and really creating a shopping experience that's significantly better than you can get elsewhere in e-commerce, as well as on our grocery store shelves. And we're really able to do that through our investment in data science, analytics, engineering, and creative functions. And using all of the data that we've gathered over the last nine, 10 years to really drive on-site personalization, curated recommendations. So really focusing on the end-to-end shopping experience moving forward. We just launched our brand new, what we call wine shelf and shopping experience and are starting to test into something completely different. So focus moving forward is definitely creating a best-in-class shopping experience, leveraging not only our team, but the data that we've gathered over the last 10 years to provide that. Got it. Love it, man. No, that's uh, that's super cool. And I'm sure there's an interesting data play there, too, with just like understanding consumer preferences around wine selection and and, and, and obviously, the, you know, a lot of product possibilities from there as well. As you reflect back on your time here, like what's something you're really proud of having accomplished at, at, at Wink? You know, to focus on the retention side, I'll reemphasize the early insight around product availability. It is not easy for a company, especially a winery, to go from 30 SKUs to almost 100 SKUs in the span of a few months. And from initial insight to rallying the team to seeing amazing metrics as a result of that, over 25% improvement in average order value, stronger LTR, stronger LTV, is something that I'm really proud of because that allows us to have the right LTV and margin dynamics to then reinvest in customer acquisition and growth knowing that we're going to get payback quicker than ever before. So, I mean, not only has it been amazing for the customer experience, but it's allowed us to scale. And without having that early insight and pushing to invest you know, a lot of money in terms of building out our product portfolio, 
we wouldn't be there. So if there's any single thing that I can point to, it's really getting the right SKU availability and assortment on the site that has really changed the dynamics of the business and the fundamentals by which we operate. And especially at a time like today where you have rising media costs, Facebook just reported earnings, 47% increase in the cost to serve an ad year over year. The cost to acquire a customer continues to get more expensive. So you have to be able to drive more LTV and value. And that's been the key way by which we've been able to do that over the last 12 months. That's incredibly insightful. I mean, I think to your point, right, especially in a in a subscription business, like you live and die by LTV because to your point, your payback period might be months on end, right? And so anything you can do to to really ensure positive retention, I think it just has tremendous compounding effects. So Jay, this has been super helpful. I know we're coming up on time here. So if people want to learn more about you or Wink, how can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. You can join my dozens of followers on Twitter at Jay Dolwani or connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you're interested in trying out Wink, go to wink.com, get your first bottles for $29.95 and let me know how it is. Love to hear feedback from our customers uh, and continue to improve the experience. Awesome, man. Well, Jay, thanks again for the time. And uh, this has been super helpful. Appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much, Neil. Thanks for having me on. A huge shout out to Jay for lending their time to the podcast today. With their help, we've developed a really strong understanding in how they've been able to drive retention over at Wink. To recap, we talked about different options that you can provide your customers when they're canceling. With wine delivery, Wink often runs into the problem with delivery when no one is able to sign for the package, which can lead to frustration and cancellation. In the cancellation flow, they make sure to address this issue by educating customers on alternative options that they may not have thought of, such as getting it delivered to a FedEx location or a local Walgreens. Second, focusing on month two retention. At Wink, they use a first-time incentive to acquire customers. Delivering a fantastic product is great, but it's all about setting the right expectations and then delivering on those expectations every single month. Lastly, how to use NPS to understand holes in the customer experience. When Jay first started, he discovered through NPS that there was a big hole in product availability. Despite the pandemic struggles, the team was able to rally around getting the number of products that customers were asking for back on the site. With customer acquisition costs increasing year over year, they were able to drive higher lifetime value by being on top of the latest wine trends and making sure that more SKUs were available to their customers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Retention Talk. Don't forget to subscribe at retentiontalk.com. And if you want to help spread the word, tag me on Twitter at neildesai 23 and let's dish on today's episode. Please give us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice and let your friends know as well. And if you know a great guest, send me a message at neilaprofowell.com. This has been a Profitwell Recur production, the largest, fastest-growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions. 